0: There is no doubt whatsoever that the government and the Prime Minister in particular have grasped the serious politics of climate change and of COP26. It's become almost existential to this government and especially this Prime Minister to show that Britain is engaged in international action and in particular that the global Britain brand flies. So that's good. The question is, how exactly is this political commitment translating into solid action and a serious economically efficient path to get us from here to uh, net zero and 250? Well, if you uh, could change the structure of an economy, from a carbon-intensive one to a low-carbon-intensive one, by announcements, by publishing lots of papers, documents, consultations, etc., this government would have already cracked the problem. In the run-up to the end of two twenty, there was an absolute blizzard of uh, virtual and actual uh, government publications and papers. It all kicked off with the government's. 10-point plan itself, a update, a rehash of what the Prime Minister had said at the September two twenty party conference. It was mercifully short, but it also was uh, classic politics. It all added up to 10. And when some nice round number is the answer to a profound challenge to societies and economies in the world, uh, you know that there's something fishy going on. It's like the old EU targets of 2020 and two twenty. Political soundbite, but economically probably pretty close to illiterate. But let's give the benefit of the doubt to the 10-point plan for a moment. What's followed is literally thousands of papers of documentation. So... We've had the Climate Change Committee's Sixth Carbon Budget, which gets us into the thousands when you read all the annexes and everything else that goes with it. Dense analysis, but with some very punchy, and to my mind, questionable headlines that come out of it. We've had the Energy White Paper. Now, this is an extraordinary document. It's been at least three or four years in the making, Greg Clark had a draft of this in circulation, uh, but subsequent Secretaries of State have simply uh, sat on it and uh, there's been an enormous amount of internal politics about its content. But you know, in a really serious sense, (laughs) they shouldn't have bothered. It's 150 pages long, but you can really tell whether a white paper is a statement of government policy or it's uh, a piece of PR, and a set of what might be called green paper ambitions. So when you look at the 150 pages, Helm's test of a white paper is the ratio of pictures to text. So as I counted up and maybe out by one or two, I count of the 150 pages, 11 pages of full page pictures. Uh, There are 35 pages with half page pictures. And the uh, policy statements are overwhelmed by 27 consultations. As I say, give or take a number either way, this passes the kind of 20% picture to text. And by the way, the text is big print, not small print. So when you look at this, this is a long way from substantive uh, a document. And I'll come to what a pracy would look like of that 150 pages if we simply asked an undergraduate to summarize the policy formal statements in that paper, as any white paper going back in history, particularly actually before the kind of spin machine got going in the late 1980s, would have confined itself to. But that's not it. We've had the National Infrastructure Strategy which repeats a lot of what's in the 10-point plan from the Prime Minister. That's 100 pages. We've had the Treasury Net Zero Review Interim Report. That's another 100 pages. And uh, uh, no doubt I've missed out uh, several things along the way. So thousands of pages. So what does it amount to? Is it really decisive, decisive? Is this the point where we know where we're going, government's actually going to do and put its uh, money where its mouth is? Or is this just a fog of documents, statements, etc., etc., to give the impression of something going on? Well, let's look at what the actual policy content is what that undergraduate doing a precy of these thousands of pages would come up with in probably about three pages. It really is a picture of cakeism. It's a story of win, win, win. So the headlines are from the Climate Change Committee and from the Energy White Paper and from the Treasury Interim Report. It isn't going to cost you very much. So, you know, think about it. We're going to transform an overwhelmingly carbon based economy, where the main emissions, by the way, come from uh, transport, agriculture and heating, to a net zero economy within 30 years. But you know what? Ain't going to cost very much. It's like, you know, fighting wars. Wars are cheap, apparently. You can just spend lots of money and this will create jobs, employment, investment, aggregate demand and growth will materialise. Really? Is that likely to be true? But think of the politics. The reason why it mustn't, quote, cost very much is because bills mustn't go up, because consumers mustn't be forced to pay and consumers, uh, particularly in those northern marginal political seats, mustn't be uh, scared off uh, the commitment to climate change. And then, having told you it isn't going to cost very much, the bills aren't going to go up, Uh, we have a few big projects. And the 10-point plan is very much prime ministerial. It's about hydrogen. It's about offshore wind. It's about nuclear. It's about a massive energy efficiency programme. Well, we know all about big projects. And if you really look behind the big projects and look at what the government's actually doing, which, by the way, is somewhat downplayed, Or not even evident in the National Infrastructure Strategy. What they're actually doing is spending a hundred billion on HS2 and the bulk of the infrastructure spend that's actually announced in the National Infrastructure Strategy is about roads and about conventional infrastructure. We of course need conventional infrastructure but this wouldn't be the sort of priorities one would have if climate change was the emergency and crisis, which the Prime Minister has finally become convinced that it is. You wouldn't spend 100 billion on HS2 if you had 100 billion to spend on climate change, which you could uh, devote to these activities. And the actual amount of money that's coming from the government is pretty small, and that's for a very good reason. Our public finances are in a mess. And then there's all the stuff of short-term politics which gets mucked up in a long-term climate change strategy. You know, if you look at the Energy White paper, the introduction by the then Secretary of State, it's all about listing out how many jobs each bit will do. And if you go through the paper, you'll find somewhere deeply embedded that smart technologies are going to produce 10,000 jobs in 2050. Really? We know today, 30 years ahead, how many jobs, 10,000, a nice round number, will be created in 30 years time from technologies which will evolve substantially. I doubt it very much. And then it's all about levelling up. It's all about making sure not that we find the cheapest and most efficient ways of addressing climate change, but that we find the cheapest and most efficient ways subject to the investments being in the north and subject to, of course, the job numbers being big. Now that. Blends objectives, that's what politics always ends up being, but that's hardly clarity. And that brings us to the final question. You know, is all this paper not only a set of actions which really are going to be translated through, but is it actually a good answer to the question? And recall that the question is, how can the UK unilaterally, stop contributing to climate change. That's what the Climate Change Committee set out last summer. And we know that the answer to that is that carbon consumption must be curtailed. It must go down. It's not enough to simply say that territorial emissions must go down, though that's not a bad thing. It is that we make sure that we don't simply swap what's going on here for imports elsewhere. And that's what Europe and the UK has been doing. And the numbers on carbon consumption are significantly worse than the numbers on carbon production. And that's also in a context in which neither of those numbers are measured very well. Carbon consumption and and substitution across is not just about companies leaving the UK. It's about investment not taking place in energy intensive industries in Europe or the UK. And there aren't any, or there are very, very few. So that really matters. And in order to do this, we have to confront people with the costs of their carbon consumption. And that means making us, the polluters, pay. And that means a carbon price. The really disappointing thing about uh, all this documentation is that the government has ducked the opportunity to introduce a carbon tax, at least for the moment, and gone for the worst of the carbon pricing options post-Brexit, which is a UK emissions trading scheme wonderful for the lobbyists, wonderful for the best interest, likely to be very slow in being extended to the rest of the economy, to the sectors that now really matter, transport, heating and especially agriculture and land use. Climate change confronts us with living beyond our carbon and indeed wider environmental means. You can't do that on the cheap. It isn't going to cost nothing. And it's great that the costs of the low-carbon technologies are falling, but there's no mention in this documentation of the fact that the cost of oil and gas is falling too. and That will be noticed in China, India and Africa, where climate change in terms of the concentration in the atmosphere will really have its day of reckoning and where the carbon emissions really have to be addressed. Recall that in the year when most of the major economies in the world went into some form of lockdown, the carbon concentration in the atmosphere went up another two parts per million, as it has done every year since 1990. This has got some very good particular steps and measures in all this documentation and paperwork, but it's really not enough to achieve either us in the UK unilaterally no longer causing climate change, that increase in emissions in the atmosphere, nor is it enough to make much difference to those other countries which must come to the table. And frankly, you know, China committing to be carbon neutral by 260 just isn't good enough. A lot more to do. These are tentative steps, but don't fool yourself. The 2,000 pages of government document is a coherent and credible strategy to address climate change. That's still to come. Thank you.